Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stick. All right, well, welcome back to the Waypool Mag podcast. I apologize, we uh, took a bit of a break. If you are waiting for one of these every single week, um, then I'm to blame. I took a bit of a break over the long Christmas thing and it just extended and extended and extended. So now it's 20th of January, 2020. Whoa, it's 2021. Apologies for that. Uh, <laughs> who could forget 2020? Anyway, today we have Ryder Thomas, um, who's a fascinating guy, and we really got on so well. We had a great chat. Um, he's been doing surf trips for years and ended up with six beautiful, lux- uh, not not luxury, but quality lodges around the, some of the farest, flungest corners of the world. Um, actually, one of those lodges is a, is a luxury boat, so... Um, but it's, it's an awesome platform to have a surf holiday on any one of those. And he's recently launched this project called Swell International. Um, and under that umbrella, they are doing the Punta Cana Resort down in the Caribbean, which is looking like the most interesting project in the Caribbean, if not the only wave pool project in the Caribbean that I'm aware of right now. I may have missed some, but anyway. Brian, the owner of Wave Pool Mag, has um, often said to me, Nick, why don't you tell everybody how you got involved in the Wave Pool Mag podcast. And I was a bit reticent to do this, but it's basically because I'm working on a Wave Pool project in Portugal. And we are progressing quite steadily and it's getting very, very exciting right now. And I just thought I would mention that just to give you a little bit of background as to me and where I'm coming from and how I actually know so much about this thing. It's not just a hobby of mine. Um, We are building a Wave Pool here in Portugal. It's an exciting project and it's really, really fulfilling. And the people I've met in the Wave Pool space are just fantastic so anyway i've gobbled up uh, enough of your time let's get right into Ryder thomas and hear about his take on wave pools around the world and how he's striding through his way to to launch and i think it's in 2024 but they're looking really good down there in punta cana so Ryder thomas so Ryder thomas welcome to the wave pool mag podcast thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me nick that's yeah, a pleasure where are you right now it sounds like you're in america somewhere I am on the uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York City, where I, uh, I spend about half of my time here, and then the other half in uh, in San Francisco when I'm when I'm not off uh, off somewhere else. So, how is the Big Apple today? It's chilly, you know. Uh, we have a nice. This is a very uh, you know cozy sort of family family neighborhood, so you never stray more than a few blocks from home, and and uh, you know this time of year I I minimize minimize the amount of time I spend outdoors. If I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, it's nice. I, I like the. I grew up in Hawaii, so I like the juxtaposition of uh, of climates. I guess. Yeah, I read that you grew up surfing the elusive West Side reefs of the Big Island of Hawaii. So could you fill that in a bit? I mean, were you were you born in Hawaii? I was. Yeah, I was born on uh, born on Oahu and uh, and grew up sort of between Oahu and the Big Island. Um, my uh, my family's been there for for quite a while. I think I'm the fifth fifth generation on, on on my father's side to to be born and raised in hawaii so a uh, lot of lot of deep roots so you weren't um i, I don't know how hawaiian politics lo- local politics work but were you considered howly or not no oh, quite there's no there's no escaping that doesn't matter, uh, oh, doesn't yeah. matter how, lo- how long you've been there it it it's a yeah. uh, it's a it's a moniker that you know still causes me to to bristle when it's directed, <laughs> directed in my in my direction, but uh, you know it's it's unavoidable, unfortunately. Well, I suppose John John's probably one as well, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if John John gets called a howly all that often, but uh, I'm sure he did at some point in his life. <laughs> well, I hope he's not listening. But uh, so, when you flew over to study at the University of Georgia, how did you cope with a lack of waves? You got yeah, any you know, stories? Yeah, yeah. It's, I was a. You know, less, you know, not, not as fun as they probably should have been. But I, um, I was a competitive swimmer, and uh, as as you know, in, in the states, you know, most most big universities have uh, large athletic departments, and those athletic departments are generally funded by revenue sports, uh, generally American football, sometimes basketball, and 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 those sports, you know give them you know give the university's ability to have all of these other teams and great facilities and whatnot and so in the in the southeast you know that's sort of the 
ground zero for uh, for American college football and the University of Georgia, where I attended as a you know as a legacy, just as this fantastic football team. And as a consequence, they also have you know fantastic swimming facilities and, and an incredible coach and and whatnot. So um, as as illogical as the jump is from Hawaii to Georgia, um, <laughs> factoring factoring swimming into the equation, it it makes more sense. Um, but it was uh, it was interesting and it was quite a quite a bit of culture shock. But um, again, I was staring at the bottom of a bottom of a swimming pool for the vast majority of my time there, so I didn't get into too much trouble. <laughs> but did you? Um, because obviously you were surfing before you went over. Right? I mean, have you been surfing since you since you since you grew up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's surfing sort of a for lack of a better term, kind of a social prerequisite in Hawaii, right? Um, so I grew up surfing, and then and then you know, from a very young age, you know, probably. You know, gosh, six, seven, eight, something like that, and then, and then as I got you know later in high school, swimming, swimming became a larger part of my life, and 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 really started to dominate my my free time, or not free time, but dominated my time and and candidly my ambitions, and so I you know I put surfing down when I uh, when I went off to school, and uh, and then I went straight from from you know Georgia to to law school, and then to work for big law firms and, and investment banks and, and for you know quite a bit of time just didn't have uh, didn't have occasion to surf and uh, and really reconnected with it later you know it's probably in my early 30s once I had my career had progressed far enough where I had more time and and uh, and you know inclination to to get back in it but you know obviously always near near and dear to my heart when I say I stopped surfing I mean I I, I didn't surf regularly from probably you know 18 to 30 but you know still every chance I could which wasn't that often as the case ended up being yeah i had the same thing i mean i put down my surfboard for about i think it was eight years or something before i came to to portugal yeah and um i was just sort of sick and tired of in cape town south africa we would cruise around the cape peninsula and obviously we've got waves on all three sides and uh you know you just have to drive there and drive back and drive there and eventually you know couldn't find any waves and i was just okay that's it i'm giving up right. um, but i'm so glad i took it back up because i just absolutely can't live without it and it's just the best stress thing stress-freeing thing to do i feel it is these days. so it you, is. you surf quite a lot now or i mean maybe in new I, york you've got a, it's a bit more difficult isn't it? you've got to get out to uh What's the break there in the east? Montauk. Yeah, to get out to Long Long Island or up, up to you know the waves all all up and down Long Island, but up to Montauk probably the best the best surf out here. And then New Jersey is is you know very good as well. The issue for me obviously is kind of twofold. One, living you know right right in Manhattan, it's it's a hike, so it's an hour and a half in the car to get out to the waves. And then uh, you know the waves are the best I would say are the most consistent around this time of year when you know. <laughs> it's getting yeah, very it's very close to uh <laughs> zero as as you would say so uh you know yeah it's not stopping ben gravy i mean he's giving new jersey waves a good name do you, do you have you seen him <laughs> i have yeah well look man they're very very good waves out here and some incredible surfers and and a real um you know a real surfing culture and, and surf community i mean i i grew up thinking that there was no such thing as as surfing on the east coast and in part because you know, what I saw of it was the Garden City Classic on, you know, the ASP tour in the in middle of the summer and they're surfing, you know, knee high crap. But um, but the reality is, is, you know, up and down this East Coast is, is just, you know, it, it pumps. Um, but, you know, it takes a little bit of a little bit of a hardship to uh, hardship to get there. Sure. And I think there's always probably the draw of somebody who wants to surf away from home and, um, and head out onto a, onto a trip, and yeah. and from what I yeah. can see, you started uh, Pegasus Lodges back in 2012. Did that come about from from surf trips that you'd taken out and thought, oh wow, we know a surf trip. Why don't we why don't we set up a lodge here? Or how did that all come about? Yeah, so it's uh, probably quite predictably, really. Uh, you know, I as I mentioned, I had once well, in my early 30s, I had moved. I was working in investment banking. I had moved to Los Angeles, and I was based in Los Angeles, and uh, and I was living living in a place called Playa del Rey, which is just just north of Manhattan Beach, and uh, you know Manhattan Beach is this interesting little place. It's like a little a little California, small California beach town, you know, surrounded by the metropolis of Los Angeles. A lot of finance people, um, you know, a lot of guys living, you know, working in the finance industry live there, and a lot of them surf. And so, you know, it was sort of this interesting moment where. You know, for the first time in my professional life, you know, I was surrounded by not surrounded by, but I was I was around a handful of a handful of, of colleagues or, or 
you know, people that are even senior to me in the industry um, that were passionate about surfing. So it was no longer the golf course, um, which was a, a welcome, a welcome break for me as a, as a non-golfer. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I started to surf again and, uh, you know, weekends and, and doing it pretty consistently. And then, then, gosh, I want to say about 2009, I was invited on a, uh, on a trip to the, to the Maldives, um, by, a by a sort of a friend of a colleague and, and it ended up being a group of 18 people, you know, nine, nine Americans, nine Australians, everybody worked in finance within, you know, one or two degrees of each other. And, uh, and we chartered the four seasons Explorer, which is that big, beautiful power cat that's run out of the four seasons, Kutahura. And, uh, and, you know, I spent a week just frolicking in the, in the Southern Natals and, you know, there's nobody around back in those days. And, and uh, really reconnected with surfing in a way that I, I had not until, you know, since I was a, a young kid growing up in the Big Island where, you know, you had access to you know, empty waves. And and uh, and then at some point I looked at the people that I was on this trip with. And, you know, as I said, 18 people, everybody is, you know, successful, you know, professionals um, and just avid surfers, diehard surfers. And, and everybody was going on, you know, two plus surf trips a year. And they talked about going to the same places which just gave me the, the sense that there wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't a, a big range of available options for people that were looking at, you know, something on the higher end of a, a surf travel experience. I, I'm not saying luxury, but just, you know, something, something more than just the, the surf camp. Um, and so, you know, a few twists and turns aside, that's, that's the, that's the inception of Pegasus Lodges was really just looking around saying, Hey, this is, this is a lot of fun. I'd like to, I'd like to do more of it. <laughs> Brilliant. That's such a beautiful story. And it uh, makes me as jealous as hell because it's definitely on my bucket list to go and do a surf trip like that. Um, but the winged horse, why the name Pegasus? Oh man, you know, lack of, lack of, uh, lack of creativity on behalf of my former, former business partner and myself. I think we were, we were bickering about, uh, about names. We had, we bought the Tello Island Lodge, which was our, our first uh, our first operation, and we're about ready to expand. And at some point, we realized, wait a second, you know, we have the Tello Island Lodge. We need to call this thing something. What are we going to call it? I remember sitting in the office with him, and he said, "Well, hurry up and pick something because uh, you know I, I want to buy the domain name. I, I want to go work out in a half an hour." So uh, <laughs> so somehow we just landed on Pegasus. I think there's some story about uh, about you know Pegasus arriving uh, arriving. Uh, to Earth and as a as a breaking wave that you know crashed onto land that he turned into the uh, you know turned into the horse, but uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's true or if I'm just making that up to give myself some some satisfaction that there's a story behind it. <laughs> but that's excellent. I mean, how many times have people business partners sat there and said, "What are we going to call this thing? What are we going to call this thing?" And then the first thing you turn to is GoDaddy.com or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And try and figure exactly. out a domain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. from from Tello Island Lodge, tell us about the growth. I mean, you own? Oh, do you do you own and operate all six lodges, or you just operate them? No, we own we own uh, four of them. Um, and then, uh, one is, one is a, a big, beautiful, uh, powerboat, um, the Ratumotu that's owned by, uh, Alan Green, who's the former founder of Quicksilver. Um, and then the sixth is the Nook, uh, Wilderness Lodge, which is a, um, you know, incredible, uh, incredible fishing lodge on the, on the West coast of Vancouver Island in BC. Um, and we do not own that. We just, we just, um, help them with bookings, but, uh, yeah, we own the other, we own the other four, um, and, you know, growth has been very organic, really. Uh, you know, we, we started with the Telewine Lodge, which was only four rooms. But, um, you know, really, to me, it was the, the, ultimate, the ultimate surf experience um, that, that I was chasing, at least, um, just in terms of low numbers and empty waves and, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of connectivity between, between the guests um, and a lot of connectivity between the guests and the staff. And, and so, you know, we really, we really studied that um you know that operation when we when we bought it and have endeavored to sort of replicate some of the elements um that that i think are most uh, critical to to the success of, of of the lodge um as we've as we've expanded i'd love to explore those elements but maybe we can get to that a little bit later um yeah. so when when did the concept of an artificial wave pull into the equation because obviously having these amazing waves and far-flung locations great but i think it must be quite a challenge to get to to some of those places travel wise especially now obviously <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so when did you start thinking about artificial wave pools or, or um, surf parks? Yeah. So, you know, just as as much of what I've done in this industry has has sort of been been a you know a process of sort of accidental uh, organic growth. Um, uh, a fantastic friend of mine who who has become a friend, but started as a, a guest. Um, who is somebody that I believe you know? You've interviewed him uh, uh, on this podcast previously, but Baptiste Coloch. Um, yeah, Baptiste is great. Yeah, yeah, he's a one wonderful guy, and and uh, and an absolute you know encyclopedia when it comes to uh, when it comes to to you know surf surf pool and surf park industry. Um, and you know he's a he's a diehard surfer uh, and a real surfer, and he you know travels all you know has traveled all over the world and is a you know great surfer and. Uh, and he he started coming to the Tellos a few years ago, and uh, and I think through through an introduction through staff or or something like that um, got a hold of me um, as he was starting to contemplate the project in Paris. Um, and and I think you know to to summarize the conversation, it was a belief that um, they had formed that the existing. Uh, surf parks um to date at least hadn't um or had had perhaps overlooked the significance of the you know privatized surf experience the sort of higher end surf experience so he he got a hold of me to you know have some discussions around my thinking you know as it related to that to that issue um and at some point invited me to waco uh, when they were doing a uh, a test day as they were as they were choosing their technology for um for paris and so I jumped on a plane in San Francisco, flew to Waco, spent a couple of days uh, surfing with with Batiste, and that was really my initial sort of foray into um, into into you know the artificial artificial surf game, so to speak. Um, and then just to to fast forward, I, I sort of you know watched watched Paris you know with curiosity, but never never really aspired to uh, do anything um, myself. And then. A couple of years ago, I was at a, a dinner in um, in the Dominican Republic, and uh, I was approached by a, a family friend of ours um, with a video, you know, one of a Kelly's pool or or something, and asking me, "Hey, you're in the surf industry. Have you seen these things?" And so I said, "Yeah, sure." And he said, "Well, what do you think about doing one in, in the Dominican Republic?" And I said, oh, "Actually, you know, it's interesting." So. That was really how how it all kind of came to fruition, and now you know obviously it's it's a couple of years later, and things have evolved significantly since then. But that was um, you know that was the initial the initial introduction to it. Great. So what um, this Punta Cana project really fascinates me, and we have um, some images online on Waypool Mag of uh, you know all those beautiful architectural images that that you put together. I think you're using endless surf down there, right? Yeah, that's the uh, that's the game plan. Um, you know, it's a it's a big project, and and just to give you give you a little bit of information just about the genesis of it. You know, we we initially started with this idea of let's just make a wave pool or a surf pool, and and you know the standard sort of surf surf only um, or, or or highly surf focused programming where you'd have the the surf pool and maybe some F and V and and maybe you know some some uh, lodging component to it, but not really. Um, and we started looking around for, for property there and, and at some point, um, happened upon the piece of land that, uh, the project is, 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 uh, now sits and it, it's this magnificent, you know, oceanfront, uh, piece of property about half an hour North of, of the Punta Cana airport. Um, really one of the, you know, in, in my mind, one of the, um, last remaining undeveloped sort of crown jewels of, of, um, real estate on that on that coastline or within immediate proximity to the to the Punta Cana airport. And so, you know, it, it was it Can I just was, ask you a quick question, Ryder. Sure. Sorry. Um how yeah. big is how big was the land? Was it a couple of how many acres? It's a it's a few hundred acres. I mean it's a it's a large oh, large wow. piece of property. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's just say too big to uh too big and, and too expensive <laughs> to to just do a a wave pool as sort of a standalone standalone concept. And so, and the, the other interesting thing about, about this piece of property is, is had some pretty unique zoning that allowed us to really maximize, you know, they call them real estate industry key yield. And so to, to make the economics work, uh, the project evolved from, you know, as I said, from initially a, a surf pool concept to, um, 
you know, a, a much larger concept featuring, you know, 1,500 plus hotel rooms and a whole food and beverage component and, and you know, what I would consider a, a more traditional resort development um, with the wave pools being a, a significant, uh, significant uh, feature, um, but a um, significant feature when it comes to the culture and you know, sort of the genesis of the project, but an insignificant feature when it comes to really at this point, you know, CapEx or, um, or contribution to, you know, our, our top or bottom lines. Sure. I mean, you've got two wave pools there, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the plan. A, uh, a 4,800, so a 48 chamber, um, endless surf pool and, and a, uh, 24, 24 chamber, uh, smaller pool. And the idea being that the, the larger pool will be, um, open to the public a bit more, I don't want to say pedestrian, but a bit more accessible. Whereas um, the smart pool will be a bit more, you know, rarefied in terms of the of the surf surf experience that we create and and who has access. Um, the as I mentioned, the larger pool of access to to the public at large, as well as you know, obviously our resident guest population, with a smaller pool um, set aside only for for guests and and guests of a certain um, certain level of inventory within the hotel. Great idea. I guess uh, maybe that, that sort of stemmed from those early trips out to Nell Island where it's all small and exclusive and you can maybe try and recreate a little bit of that in that second wave pool, the smaller one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the idea. And, you know, I think I think the same, you know, you, you have to apply to some degree the same approach with respect to, you know, the larger, larger wave pool, even where you're talking about more significant, you know, what's the word everybody uses, throughput. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I believe... You know wholeheartedly that uh, that so much of of the surfing experience or the surf travel experience is centered around uh, you know factors beyond just the surf, um, and so you know not not looking to to replicate um, you know some of these these more sort of off the grid surfing surf trip experiences that um, you know that we know how to create, but but again looking to take certain elements of those experiences and 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 translate them into uh, into an artificial setting, I think is the goal. Sure, absolutely, and, and obviously you're going to be relying on most people. I would imagine the, the the large percentage of your target market who are going to be arriving in Punta Cana are all going to be foreign travelers, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, it's a you know it's it's a pretty interesting pretty interesting development landscape in that you have a you have a um, international airport that sees it's the second largest international airport in terms of in terms of um, traveler numbers in in the region. I think it's you know, seven million uh, seven million arrivals a year is the term. Um, primarily North American facing, although they have uh, you know airlift from you know, Eastern, Western Europe, Latin America, et cetera, et cetera. So a very diverse uh, mix of mix of travelers showing up. Wow. So obviously you've, you've done your homework when it comes to the to the market feasibilities and it's uh, it's going to work. Let's hope that COVID doesn't stick around long enough to, to hamper your efforts. <laughs> but I, I mean, obviously this project's going to be a long time. And when do you reckon it's going to launch? You know, I, I, the, the hope is, uh, or the plan is a 2024 opening. There's a chance that we, we see daylight late 2023, but I think it's the one, it's the one real estate development project that I've ever participated in where I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I didn't feel a huge degree of urgency <laughs> to get the doors open. You know, I, yeah, I think, you almost want to delay it now, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it, it recoveries, um, you know, recoveries, as as everybody knows, uh, recoveries and and the travel industry generally are going to be slow. Um, I think recoveries in the Dominican Republic are are going to lag um, lag North American recoveries significantly. So you know, if 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 the word is that you know you're not going to see North America recover until you know 2022 or later, um, you know I think 2024 is a good uh, a good target. But the reality is that. Um, you know what we all know about this thing is is at some point it's going to end. The world will, of course, look different uh, than it than it did, um, and mm-hmm. and I think you know there are aspects of, of travel that will change permanently, uh, perhaps for the better. But uh, but there is an end in sight, right? Um, and yeah, so you and- know we're just plugging away, making making progress in the meantime. Cool. Um, I mean, obviously, does that impact on your on on the layout of your designs or the accommodation? Um, and have you had to to redo a little bit of stuff and rethink quite a quite a bit of the layout of the other resort due to COVID or not? Yeah, you know, fortunately for us, we weren't we weren't too far along in in designs. 
um, before COVID, COVID ran us over. Um, and so it wasn't as though we had, you know, run down the road and, and sort of come up with this very traditional, uh, traditional hotel design and, and, and sort of programming concept um, pre-COVID. And then all of a sudden had to sort of go back to the drawing board and figure out how we're going to turn this cruise ship on land into, into something that was more <laughs> saleable in the new world, right? Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's something that we're actively working through, both in terms of, you know, I think there's only so much you can do when it comes to um, when it comes to really redesigning, you know, large format hotel buildings. Um, but there's a lot you can do when it comes to circulation and, and, you know, how you move people in and out of the buildings or back and forth to their rooms and, and all that. And that's going to, you know, that's going to come into play in, in every every component of the program from, you know, not just the hotels to, um, you know, to restaurants and, and, and bars and nightlife and, and the, the surf facility itself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, as a professional lodge operator, what advice would you give to other wave parks around the world and setting up and running their accommodation offer? Because to this day, we haven't seen much accommodation happening. I know in Snowdonia, they put up a, a big Hilton, uh, yeah. but urban surf down in Melbourne, haven't got any room for accommodation down there. I don't think. And, uh, and Bristol seems to be lagging in their, in their accommodation. I think they've got a couple of tents there now. I'm not sure what's going to happen, yeah. but obviously. So what, um, what advice would you give, uh, regarding accommodation to to wave parks around the world well i think it depends on on what the you know what the motivation what the motivation is when it comes to the lodging you know if, it, if it's if it's a discussion around how you use lodging to maximize the surf experience which to some extent is is you know part of our thought process but it, it's a different it's a different story when you're when you're looking at you know 1500 rooms or 1700 rooms um, only a small portion of those will will be you know taken by participants of the wave pool itself, right? Um, mm -hmm. The vast majority will be will be you know non-surfers or friends and families of those surfers and and all of that, right? I mean, I, I think that I've come to see sort of the the surf trip masquerading as a family vacation as the as the holy grail of everything yeah. that we that we try to build, right? But you know, when it comes to the surf experience itself, you know, I I, I I think it's important and I don't know the answers. I think it's something that we're still working through, but it's, it's important to try to bring, bring some degree of fidelity, um, fidelity to, you know, a true surf travel experience um, to, to these artificial environments. And, mm -hmm. you know, in my mind that, that has a tremendous amount to do with, um, you know, and you're going to laugh when I say this word, I'm, I'm laughing at myself, but authenticity, right now, how do you make a, authentic experience that, you know, costs totally $700 million and, you know, but it's, but it's critically important. And, and I'll, I'll give you a great example. Uh, a group of friends and I in early December, um, took a, uh, buyout day, a cold water buyout day at, uh, the BSR facility in Waco. And I'd been there uh, on a couple of occasions and, and it's, you know, I, I love, I love surfing there, but my, and even though I've stayed, stayed on site, you know, my, my experience beyond just the surf was, um, you know, always left me sort of wanting, you know, I, I felt like there was, you know, tremendous potential to, to do something interesting and authentic just because it is such a, it's a wild thing, right? You're, you're going on a surf trip to Waco, Texas, you know, a bunch of my friends that we met at, met in San Francisco international airport with surfboards piled onto this plane, rented pickup trucks and drove, you know, into the middle of, of the hill country in Texas. And so, you know, what I did for this trip is, you know, there were 20 of us. And, uh, and I just went out of my way to, I mean, we hired a couple of great, you know, a fantastic country band and, and the Reverend Horton Heat is sort of the godfather of, of, you know, psychobilly, uh, rock and roll. And, and then we, you <laughs> know, I found the very best barbecue that I could find in, in Waco and the best Tex-Mex. And so I, you know, I just sort of took it upon myself to create this, this very authentic, you know, Texas experience and, and yeah, we were surfing, but, um, but we weren't on a, you know, we were on a surf trip. We were just doing something that was very non, you know, non-beachy or, or not, uh, not what you would, you know, necessarily think about when you're, when you're planning a surf trip, right? And it was a tremendous success. I mean, I think every single person, you know, approached me afterwards and said, oh, when can we go back? You know, we can't wait. And so, you know, that's, that's when I say authenticity. I, I think, you know, you have to have some element of, of a real travel experience. Um, and you have to recognize that it's not all about the waves. And, and then part of that as well is, is the community. You know, you have this really interesting, interesting thing happen in, in, in these artificial uh, surfing experiences where, you know, for once, 
unless you're surfing some empty wave on the edge of the earth and there's nobody else around, you know, the factor that always turns me off the most is, is just the, you know, it's not just the crowd. It's the, you know, it's sort of the hostile, hostile undercurrent that surfing can take on, right? Yeah, when you're competing absolutely. for, you know, scarce natural resources and, and there are more demand than there is supply, um, you know, it does strange things to people. And so, you know, these, these surf pools can be a really interesting equalizer because all of a sudden that, that competitive element is, is out of the equation. And so you don't look as your, at your, you know, even if it's not somebody, you know, you don't look at your fellow surfer as a, as a threat to your experience. They're just somebody else that's there that's enjoying it as much as, as you are. And so I think, you know, from a, from a, a lodging perspective or from a general programming perspective, the opportunity to, to really, you know, harness um, harness the community, harness, you know, interaction with each other as part of the experience can be a really, uh, you know, a really powerful uh, piece of the value proposition. I love the way you put that, Ryder. That was that was amazing because I totally agree with you. I think, you know, there's so, it's so unnecessary. You're going out in the lineup and some guy is snaking you and getting all upset. And it's, you don't need that kind of vibe when you want to have a nice natural setting. And also when you're talking about authenticity, I think um, it's something that I've seen with, with a lot of these wave pool projects around the world. If you've got a, um, a beautiful wave in a shopping mall, it just doesn't yeah. excite me as much as um, maybe one down in Punta Cana or, or wherever. Right. Like, I mean, if you, if you want to go to Paris and surf Paris, it'd be great to have some Parisian stuff inside right. the, the wave pool, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And 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 you think about you know you think about all these interesting places in the world that that um, these projects have, have been proposed. Um, <laughs> there's some there's some fantastic opportunity to to really you know give give. Um, you know, give visiting surfers a, a cultural immersion that is so far afield from from what you know you typically think about an experience will be when you're on a surf trip. Uh, that's a really that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to go to New York on a surf trip, um, but if you're going to go to, I don't want to call them out badly, but I mean, you know, the New Jersey surf, um, what's it called, the, the American Dream shopping mall. Yeah, yeah, there? yeah. I well, I drive past it on my way to the Newark airport every, every, yeah, yeah, every yeah, week or so. Haven't but, felt uh, the urge to turn off yet. But that's it. Yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's a COVID thing, right? I uh, yeah, the whole idea of going into a mall isn't terribly appealing to me at the moment. But uh, yeah, to me, you know, look, I, I love, and I'll say, you know, I say this about Pegasus as well. I say this to guests all the time that if you know, if you fly, you get on a plane, you fly from New York to. Singapore that takes you 20 hours and then it takes you another, you know, call it five to six hours to get out to the resort. You're there for 10 days and all you're doing is talking about, well, today was three feet. Tomorrow's going to be six feet. When's the low tide? And, 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 you know, you're missing, you're missing a lot of the experience. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not connecting to the place, you're not connecting to, you know, your fellow guests or, or to the employees or whatever. So um, the challenge is how do you, you know, it's easy to do that when you have four, eight, 12 rooms, right? Um, the challenge is how do you do that when you're, when you're talking about hundreds of rooms and, and thousands of people a year, um, or, or sorry, not thousands of people a year, thousands of people, you know, a week, um, or a day coming through the property or coming through the facility, the, um, the, you know, elements of connectivity and authenticity become, you know, I think just as important, but they have to be a hell of a lot more deliberate because you're not just going to accidentally stumble upon it, right? Sure, absolutely. Um, and, and you're probably well-placed to answer this question, but for example, in Punta Gana, how long would you expect people to generally stay? Um, is it like, you know, five days or seven days on, on, on just surfing in the resort? Yeah. So, you know, we run, we run in Indonesia, 10 day trips in, in Samoa and, and, and Fanning Island Pacific, we run seven day trips. And, and generally, you know, at least the, the history of the 10 day trip in Indonesia was that, um, Martin Daly, who's the, you know, the godfather of, of, um, you know, the mental wise and, and really, you know, Indonesian sort of surf, surf charter tourism. Um, he, he pegged, you know, trips between 10 and 14 days because over the course of 10 or 14 days, a guest was, you know, almost certain to see two swell events. Um, whereas if you came for seven days, you might arrive on the tail end of one swell, you know, through the, the dead period and just see the, the leading edge of the next one. Um, and so really the longer trips meant that, you know, you, you had a higher probability of having satisfied customers. Obviously, that's you know uh, uh, no longer a factor when it comes to artificial waves. The other thing that I'll say is, you know, based on every experience I've had in, in Waco um, and and the other waves I've surfed, with the exception of Kelly's, um, you know, you're dead <laughs> after after a day yeah. a day of, of of surfing in Waco. 
is, uh, you know, really can bring on an existential crisis of middle age when it comes to questioning your, your level of physical fitness or whatever. And so, uh, you know, you need a lot less time. I think, you know, one of the interesting things about the market in Punta Cana is it is, you know, as you look at that, you know, 60, 65% of your, of your arrivals come from North America. So it's within three to four hours, call it two and a half to four hours of, you know, most, most of your population of visitors. So it's easily accessible. So that's, that's a, that's a legitimate weekend trip or a long weekend trip. So, you know, two to three days, um, but then when it comes to sort of family vacations and, and that type of thing, you're looking at something, you know, something longer, five, five to seven days. That's kind of how, how we've, how we've modeled um, our thinking. And again, this is, this is based almost more around the, you know, the hotels, you know, the water park and, and all that kind of stuff and less about the surf pools. Um, but, you know, we're looking at, at guests that come and stay, you know, stay a handful of days, but in, in terms of the amount of time they need in the pool to have a, a legitimate, legitimately satisfying surf experience. You, you don't need much, man, you know, um, yeah, a few hours. But, it, but it's interesting because, I mean, we talked to Andrew Ross from Urban Surf down in Melbourne and and he's obviously got no accommodation and everybody who's surfing that pool, I mean, generally, um, people who surf that pool are from Melbourne and they just walk over and have a surf or they yeah. drive over half an hour. I think um, you'll find that a lot of people are flying in right now because of the uniqueness of it from all over Australia and, and surrounds. Yeah. But obviously, as time goes by, you know, it'll be more a lo- local thing. And then your park in Punta Cana is um, a resort in Punta Cana is, is obviously totally different. It's totally tourism based, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's tourism based. It's, it's a destination. Right. And, and so it's a, you know, you're, you're looking at a market that is. There's a couple of things at play, right? One is the longer, you know, the longer a guest stays at the park or on site, you know, the more, not to put it in, in such commercial terms, but the more opportunity there is to, to monetize that visit. And so if somebody comes for, I think Batiste likes to say five hours, I think that's the, that's the, probably the right, the right number. You know, if they stay longer than five hours, you know, the likelihood of being able to, you know, capture food and beverage revenue or, or these ancillary revenue streams um, get put to use. Um, you know, your, your likelihood increases. Now our, our situation is a little different because we're bringing, you know, we're, we're trying to bring people in for multiple days, but, but to do that, you know, like anything, right. There's going to be, I have no, no preconceptions that there's not going to be another pool in Punta Cana. I think, you know, if anyone looks at the market, they'll realize it's a legitimate place to, to think about, uh, think about setting up camp, um, and so then the question becomes, you know, what kind of mousetrap are you building, right? Is it is it a more or less attractive building, uh, less more or less attractive mousetrap than your, you know, than your competitors, and uh, and so you have to spend a lot of time thinking about about everything else, right? What is what is the non-surfing, you know, member of the family doing or members of the family doing? Where are you eating? What's the food on offer? What are the hotel brands? What is the experience as a whole? Um, just because you're, you know. You're, you're not, if it's just about surf, man, there's going to be other places to go surfing, right? Sure. No, oh, absolutely. And all you need for the 16-year-old girl in the family is Wi-Fi, then you'll be fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. We're yeah. all going to be, yeah. we're all going to be microchipped soon along, man. Nick, Nick, you just had a great experience in the, you know, you name it, Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you talk to my, my, my South African fellow, Elon Musk, I mean, he's, uh, he's looking to ready to plug in your cortex into the computer. So it's <laughs> yeah. going to happen too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's but, not far off, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so Ryder, I would love to chat to you a little bit about Swell International. I mean, it appears from you know, the research I did on LinkedIn that you joined Swell International this year. What's what's your mission there? Yeah, so Swell is a um, a partnership. Um, really, the 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 um, the genesis of it was a partnership related to the Punta Cana project. Um, so the Punta Cana project is not just a job, not just myself, obviously. It's it's Batiste. It's uh, it's uh, my my very good friend uh, Bill Duncanson. William Duncanson is an arch- fantastic architect and in San Francisco who, who has done a lot of sp- uh, work in this space. Um, it's, uh, Aaron Hall, who's my, my co-CEO and colleague at, uh, Pegasus. He, he deals primarily with strategy on operations and then Kui Nakamura, who's our strategy and finance guru. And, uh, and swell really is a partnership that came about just, just through looking at Punta Cana, realizing that it was something that, that we were going to get done and, and went from being sort of pie in the sky to wait a second, this is, this is real. And as, um, and it, it's, as it's happened to me, you know, over the years, you know, many times, you know, we see a lot of, 
because we, through Pegasus, we do a lot of um, a lot of real estate development and, and very complicated places in the world. And just so happens to be that those complicated places in the world are getting more and more exciting, more and more attractive. We have a, a very unique skill set of being able to go and and build things in complicated markets. Um, and and so Swell is is really um, is really a result of sort of that that ideology that that you know we have this. Um, We've developed over the last ten years a, a pretty pretty unique uh, development uh, development ability, um, and you know as we as we continue to see interesting product projects, we'll continue to uh, to chase them. So, are you allowed to talk about any projects that you're looking at, or, or any areas? Yeah, you know we're we're playing with something an incredible project in the Azores that we'll uh, we'll hopefully announce in the next couple of weeks. Um, we've you know, we're looking at another another project in South America that is uh, is a wave pool project that is or a surf pool project that is is exciting. Um, and there's you know there's there are twelve different uh, twelve different sort of um, opportunities in in the hopper that we talk about on our Monday morning call every week. Um, but you know they're not they're not real until they're real, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, that's always a, it's always a thing. Is when do you actually release? those beautiful drawings to the public those architects drawings to the public and, and show them yeah. on wavepoolmag.com yeah so, um, yeah and that's you know it, it's an interesting industry you know better than better than anybody it's uh you know there's a lot of posturing at the moment and, and the different techs are are converging on a solution and you know this isn't uh i don't believe that this is i was a, a you know technology mergers and acquisitions banker for a bunch of years and, and you know there's all these stories about um competing technologies converging on you know the same solution right so vhs betamax for instance right and, and widely recognized that betamax was the superior technology but um you know vhs got to market first and and did it right and and ended up winning out so betamax became obsolete and disappeared i don't think that's that's the scenario here you know i think you're going to have probably, you know, in, in large part because of the, the lasting power of these things, you know, they're huge facilities that are very expensive to retrofit, um, you, you know, even if you could within, you know, within different technologies within the same form factor. Um, and so I, I think you're going to have, uh, you're going to have, you know, multiple, multiple technologies that all have a right to life at the end of the day. And, and then it becomes a, you know, arms race first, you know, based on, organizational organizational structure and, and all that fun stuff Which but is a um, big thing yeah. yeah yeah you know and that's you know that's what everybody's everybody's sort of talking up and uh you know we'll see uh the one outlier for me is is the kelly slater wave cone i just i can't get my mind around the fact that they pro- i don't even know if they're gonna continue to use that technology because it just seems like it's outdated and, and it doesn't work i mean maybe it supplies a better wave i'm not sure but I can't yeah. see that. I'm going to actually interview um, Blake Hess from from uh, from KS Wave Company soon, so we'll have his take on that. But I, I'm, do you think that that's a valid technology? You know, I don't know. It's not. It's not right for us. Um, but you know, I, I have friends that are absolutely addicted to it, um, and you know, obviously those are friends with, with deeper pockets than myself. <laughs> um, otherwise, it'd be a pretty pretty unsatisfying addiction. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think you know. I know that um, I know that uh, the Merriweather Group is is looking at you know doing their Coral Mountain project in in the Coachella Valley, and and that's a KS project. Um, you know, I don't I don't claim to have any sort of insight into the viability of their of their model that's going to you know <laughs> give them a right to life or not. I, I would just say for us, you know, it's 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 sure. more a matter of the you know the volume of waves that you can deliver or that you can get to your sort of throughput numbers and all that kind of fun stuff. And you know, we're we're we have the additional complexity of um, the Dominican Republic having some of the highest uh, power costs in the hemisphere, and so power consumption is a big a big issue for us. And, sure. and you know, there's there's a whole there's a whole dance, um, you know, that, that you need to be able to do in order to make these things economically viable as a standalone enterprise, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. but, but we'll see, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of smart people in this industry and, and impressive people and, and wave garden obviously is, is, you know, off to a big head start and, and has some, a great team and, and, and is delivering, um, product that people seem to be very happy about. You have, you know, new newcomers, um, and then you have you know some of the some of the um, you know more uh, more entrenched players um, that seem to have fantastic technology as well that 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 
is is picking up steam and, and getting getting projects underway. So it'll be very interesting to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, it will be. Um, yeah, it's an exciting time. And 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 talking about that is that there's an imminent project just about to be launched in Switzerland. Um, Edinburgh is coming along. Sao Paulo in Brazil is opening soon. Um, which one are you tracking? Are you tracking any projects that you do super keen on and interested to see opening? Yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds. You know, one is I. I and obviously, you know, I'll, I'll caveat it by saying the technology, you know, does the same technology can deliver different product depending on scale, right? And you're seeing that in in South Korea, for instance. Um, you know, yeah. the the video footage of South Korea is, is seems to be pretty impressive, and I know Wave Garden is working on you know different you know different uh, wave formats um, from a you know an air wave to a to a, a you know bigger barrel and whatnot. Um, so, you know, when it comes to Switzerland, for instance, you know, I'm not terribly curious about, about the Cove technology. I am curious about how, again, going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, I'm very curious to see how these developers and operators bring, um, the surf experience, uh, you know, to, to the masses and, you know, nobody has, nobody has nailed it on the head yet. Um, I think everybody's doing, you know, a good job, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's something that's going to evolve, and so that's my my primary primary curiosity is about you know as new things come online, how are they different than the next, right? Um, otherwise, otherwise the the product becomes a hugely commoditized. You know how do you how do you differentiate Edinburgh? You know how do you di- differentiate Switzerland from from Bristol from wherever? Um, and um, you know, and then it, then it just becomes a geography game. Whichever one's closer is the one I'm going to. And so, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how people, um, you know, create a competitive advantage by, um, you know, delivering a different mousetrap, right? And then the other side of it is just any new technology that's going to come online on a commercial scale is going to be fascinating. Um, and so, Surflox is the one that I'm I'm you know really curious about right now because that's you know that's coming. They just delivered a, you know a, a tiny facility um, you know just here in New York or on the border between New York and Connecticut. Um, it's just a private facility. I think there's four partners. I've heard. Um, and you know, I've heard great things about that. I, I know people at at Surflox that have, of um, you know smart, very very smart, capable people that are are just true believers in the technology. So um, you know, I think it's going to be fascinating just to see it all it all come online and and uh, and you know how to how it all you know sort of fits into the whole ecosystem. Is that one in New York? Um, the Surflox in New York is that um, is that open? I mean, to the to, it's private, obviously, but is it is it, is it functioning? Yeah, it's commissioned. It's commissioned. It's shut down for the winter, um, as I understand it. But um, uh, just because I was, I was trying to finagle my way into a <laughs> to an <Yeah>. invitation. No, <laughs> um, no, no, no. I, uh, I, I, from what I understand, it is commissioned. It's functioning, um, and they they've shut it down for the for the winter. But you know, it's a really interesting concept because it's it's you know just a just a bit bigger than a. Uh, than a, an Olympic sized swimming pool with a you know with a fun wave. So it's similar to the one down in um, the PSSC, the Palm Springs Surf Club with Shane Magnuson. Yeah, I mean it's you know that was more of an existing pool that they you know they just sort of fit the technology into. I think this is more you know obviously this is more of a deliberate deliberate form. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's you know as, as as scale goes, I don't know what exactly what the proportions are of one to the next, but it's it's in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. And with with you sitting in the end of surf camp with uh, Punta Cana and obviously your your um, interaction with with with, with Paris, um, surely you'd like to see one of those open up pretty soon and and then get some idea of how they really run. Yeah, of course. You know, I think it's and and you'll hear you know you hear a lot of. Um, a lot of, uh, as my my fourteen year old daughter would say, shade thrown. Actually, I don't know if she says that anymore. But you know, shade there's a, there's a <laughs> shade thrown, throwing shade. I don't know. I, I might. Oh, be, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm dating myself, man. But um, <laughs> no, there. You know, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of skepticism uh, that you hear around you know whitewater coming online without having delivered a, a you know a, a prototype or or you know. Um, a working model, I, you know, what I'd say is that, uh, they will. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a large organization. It's a very professionally run organization, very capable people. Obviously they have, they have Clement, um, as the engineer who came over from American wave machines. So, you know, they'll, they'll get there. Um, again, as far as I'm concerned, you know, with a 2024 opening and, and a lot of other <laughs> fish to fry in terms of, in terms of programming, 
you know, it's something that, um, you know, I don't, I don't take, I don't take it lightly. Um, yet at the same time, I, 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 I have a lot of confidence in, in the outcome and, and, you know, a lot of our decision-making as it related to Punta Cana was really swimming in the slipstream of Paris and, uh, and, and, um, and Batiste's, you know, sort of knowledge about the industry and a lot of the decisions that he was making for Paris, you know, we looked at very closely and, and asked if they were, you know, similarly the right decisions for us. Yeah. And he's got extensive knowledge. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I just got one last question for you. Yeah, no worries. Um, is there anything you can share about Azores? Is it, is it an actual wave pool that you're going to be putting in there or is it just a lodge? No, no, no. It's, it's a, it's a smaller, smaller format lodge, you know, and probably, probably closer to the Pegasus, the Pegasus concept than, uh, than to, um, than to, uh, you know, Punta Cana. Having said that though, you know, as I, as I think about it, um, you know, that's sort of an interesting, interesting idea because, you know, you're starting to have, if you look at airlift and I'm talking just into San Miguel, um, and you have a lot of direct airlift from all over Europe into, into the Azores, obviously you have a pretty, a pretty mild climate. Um, so you have, you have a decent climate, you have a lot of access. The other interesting thing, Nick, is that, um, there's a lot of geothermal power that they could tap into. So for somebody that wanted to, uh, you know, roll up their sleeves and, and take that bet, and, you know, Azores is a pretty, uh, be a pretty emerging destination to, to, to sink 30 million bucks into a, into a flyer. Um, it's still a pretty interesting one. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a great place to do business. Um, they're very, uh, very, um, pro, you know, pro, pro business, pro, I guess pro development is, is, is what I'd say, but, um, in in the right way you know not uh, not as a in a pejorative sense sure excellent yeah so i didn't mean to say just a lodge because i'm sure it's quite an it's quite a thing to build it but, uh, <laughs> no 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 it's, it's, it's just a lodge i mean it's when you look at the complexity <laughs> surrounding uh surrounding these these you know monstrous uh you know monstrous monstrous facilities you know the idea of just building a a building with a bunch of rooms is, and it is a is a much easier undertaking than that than a surf pool as you as you undoubtedly know yeah well Ryder thanks so much for coming on I really appreciate it how can people connect with you or follow your progress on uh, online um, they can they can shoot me an email at Ryder at swellinternational.com or uh, you know keep on keep an eye on what we're doing at Pegasus and uh, you know find me find me online or, or whatever always always happy to uh, chat with uh, chat with people and make new friends excellent well i've certainly enjoyed our chat so thank you so much for your time really really appreciate it and enjoy the rest of the day in new york likewise nick have a, have a good one nick. for your curiosity and stoke <laughs>